This morning we're continuing our journey through the story. The Bible is a continuous story of God. We've been reading this book since the book first Sunday in January. And today we're reading from chapter 26, which is entitled The Hour of Darkness, which encompasses the portions of the gospel that uh, consist of Jesus' final meal with the disciples, his betrayal, his trial, and then eventually it ends with his crucifixion. For those of you that are new to St. Luke or visitors, if you'd like to become a part of this study, we invite you to pick up a copy of the book. You can speak to Dee, our Christian Education Director, or talk to me following the worship service. We'd like for you to partake of this journey with us as we share in it the final uh, Sundays of this month into August, where we celebrate and end on August 11th, our reading of the story together. This morning I'm going to be reading from the story, pages 371 and 372, which comes as well, which can be found as well in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 39 through 46, if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he came back, he found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. The second scripture that I want to read this morning comes from the story as well. Page 379, if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, it comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 44 through 49. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified, and they exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. This morning I'd like to begin this time by sharing with you a quote from someone named Claude Harmon. Claude I had to do some research on when I read this quote, but it leapt out at me this last week as I was studying and thinking about this Sunday and the chapter of the story that we had read together. Claude was a professional golfer who won the Masters Tournament in 1948, the Masters being one of the major tournaments of golf here in the United States. A one unique thing about Claude Harmon is he's known as the last semi-pro or club professional um, person to have won a major golf tournament in the U.S., meaning he still worked at a local golf course and taught lessons and, and did the things that a club professional does there, and he also played against professionals like Ben Hogan and others at the time in these major events, and he himself was able to win. Following his successful golf career, he also had a very successful career coaching other golfers as well as offering advice to those in the golf instruction area. He said this quote, Whenever someone comes to learn to you to learn to play golf, you will see in their swing ten different problems. Your job as their teacher is to find the one that causes the other nine. You will see in their swing ten different problems. Your job is to find the one that causes the other nine. What a great saying. And I believe this advice took to those that he shared it with. My understanding is Claude had four sons. Three of them are still living today. Three of them coach golf professionals and, and are professional golfers themselves. In fact, one of his sons named Butch Harmon, uh, you may know him as Tiger Woods' swing coach, who was the swing coach for Tiger Woods from the late 1990s to the early 2000s, some of the best times in Tiger Woods' career. I believe that his method and his idea took because he said you will see in their swing ten different problems. Your job is to find the one that causes the other nine. You know, I don't often use sports analogies in my sermons. But as I read this one this last week, I believe this quote is great in helping you and I to think of the things in our own lives and in our own worlds that are problematic. In fact, if I was to ask you today and give you a piece of paper and tell you list ten things that are problematic with the world, with your life, with your church, with your community, with your nation, with anything, you could probably do it. In fact, most of us could probably take the time and fill up an even longer list because we would look at the things in our personal lives and in our family lives and in our community's life and maybe in our church's life and in our nation's life and in the world. And we'd say, here are the problems. In fact, many of us watch programs on TV. doesn't matter the channel you prefer or the network you like to watch. That Often these programs state a problem with society or our community or a problem in someone's life. And then they study it to try and determine the conditions that have led to that problem becoming the level of problem it is now. In these shows, they attempt to, to list anything and look at everything 
in order to decide what really happened or to decide the area or the turn in which someone's life or an event or a thing went wrong. You know, there are shows that, that we watch, like Nightline in 2020, and, and recently a show called Hoarders, I don't know if you've seen it, in which they look at people's lives and they look at the condition that they are living in and they look at the things that have happened, and they're able to say at some point, here's where we think this began. Or in an event where people's lives are affected, they look and they say, here's where it turned for the worse. If it's a person's life, they look at their mood or their genetic makeup or the other things that they might inherit. If it's an individual, we look at diet, maybe explaining it, or their lack of sleep or too much sleep or education. We look at the structure of the community. If it's something that, that involves more than, than one person in a group of people, we look at the chemistry of the people that work together. Or maybe we just say it's the government and it's not going to work at all. Either way, we try and identify the conditions that caused the problem to become the problem. We attempt to answer this question, whatever that question is, whatever the problem is, and we search for ten answers, and we often only find nine, or we do find ten, but we only list nine, and we overlook the one. The one thing that's our greatest inhibitor to being in relationship with God and one another, the one thing that Jesus took upon himself when he was nailed to the cross, the one thing that Jesus attempted to offer back to God when he prayed that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, the passage that we read this, this morning, that said, Jesus said to God, or prayed to God, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then Jesus returned to the disciples and he went back to pray again and he said, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Luke writes that Jesus returned to the disciples and he went back and prayed a third time and prayed a prayer very similar to the first two. Where he basically said, My Father, if you could take this sin from me, do it. But if it is your will that it should be done, then let it happen. The one thing that we often overlook in the problems in our world and in our community and in our lives is sin. The sin that was introduced between God and humanity in the Garden of Eden, we read it in the first chapter of the story in January. The one thing that was continually atoned for in the Old Testament as we read about the priests taking an animal and offering it in sacrifice in, to atone for the sins of the people of Israel. We look at the sin that inhibited the people of God from having a true relationship with their Creator. Sin that causes us to fall short of God and it's sin that even tells us when we're looking at the ills of our society and ourselves to list the other nine and not acknowledge the one. It's our sin that causes us to act the way we don't want to act or to think the way we wouldn't normally think, or to do the things that widen the gap between us and our Creator. But in this week's chapter of the story, as we read portions of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23 and the other Gospels, we read 
about God's act through Jesus Christ that's directly pointed at the sin in our lives. Because we've read this week about Jesus' last days, His last hours as He's gathered with the disciples to celebrate the Passover feast. He's blessed a loaf of bread. He's offered it as His body to those gathered there. He takes an additional cup of wine. He shares it with the disciples and He tells them that it is His blood. And then He tells them what's to happen. And they've gone to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, just a short distance outside the wall of Jerusalem, where Jesus spent time in prayer, and in prayer three times, Luke says, he asked God to remove the cup from him. A cup that's nothing new, a cup in which we experience and, and we see the punishment and wrath of God that has been poured out before. But it's a cup that Jesus himself is saying he will take upon himself in full measure and he will partake it. If you look in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 15, we read about the cup of wrath that God is going to pour out on all the nations. But then Jeremiah says that God is not going to spare the cup for the people of Jerusalem and Judah. Because they themselves will experience the cup of wrath of God for their unfaithfulness, for their sin. As God has chosen to use Nebuchadnezzar and the army of Babylon to do his will. We know from our reading of the story that, that we read this passage about eight weeks ago where the, the, the walls of Jerusalem fell and the temple was torn down and God used this other nation to bring the people of Jerusalem out of their land and they were exiled to Babylon. An exile that lasted 70 years because of the sin of the people because of the wrath of the Lord. But see, it's this cup of wrath that Jesus is talking about when he asks God to take it from him in our reading today. It's a cup that previously had poured out judgment on the people. And today Jesus is saying he'll take it upon himself so that he can offer us life. It was a cup that he drank willingly, and in doing so, he took upon himself all the weight of the sin of the world, so that through his death on the cross, all would be forgiven of their sin. The chasm between us and God would be bridged, and all would be allowed unobstructed access to their Creator. He drank from this cup, not in solidarity with the poor or the oppressed, not for the rich or for the successful, but he drank from the cup for all of humanity. And in doing so, he took the weight upon the world, upon himself, to become sin. So that through his death, the sin that obstructs us from God would die as well. This morning we're going to be celebrating Holy Communion, God's gift to us. A gift of love and grace that we celebrate and share together. As we remember Jesus' gathering with his disciples that night in which he offered them the cup in which he himself had previously prayed that he would take it. see, the cup he offers us is a cup of life. It's a cup of forgiveness. It's a cup of reconciliation and renewal. And the cup that he took upon himself was the cup of death, death and pain 
and sin and anguish. Jesus took that cup upon himself so that he himself became sin. Sin of the world. And in his dying on the cross, sin died with him. So that we might have life. And so I invite you to share in this meal this morning. As we receive this gift of grace and life that's offered us through God, or from God through his son Jesus Christ. As you receive it, I invite you to accept the forgiveness that God offers you this day and receive the grace that he offers to all people, whether we recognize it's working in our lives or not. Because it's this cup that Jesus partook, and in doing it, he offered you life, and he offered me life. And he offered us the opportunity to gather here together and worship him as we receive this meal and as we share in his grace. Amen.